So this morning we're going to take a look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. That event which we just read about where Jesus is lifted up into heaven. Now, when you look at the Gospels, the Christmas story, the birth of Christ, and then the Holy Week, his death and resurrection, get an awful lot of attention in the scriptures. But this event doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Uh, it's only mentioned in two Gospels, and it's also mentioned in the book of Acts. But that doesn't mean that it's not important and that it doesn't have implications for us who believe. So I want to kind of take a look at what are those implications for us uh, this morning. And I hope that you'll appreciate what's going on in this passage because I certainly do. So if we just stand back and look at the big picture of redemption, we know that Jesus set aside his glory, and as the scripture says, when the fullness of time came, he came down to earth, and he became like us, the incarnation, God with us. And then his public ministry began at the age of 30. And while he was conducting his public ministry, Jesus was fulfilling three Old Testament prophetic offices. He came as prophet, he came as priest, and he came as king. And as prophet, as the scriptures say in Hebrews, he was the final mouthpiece of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, 1, that in many portions and many ways God had spoke through the prophets, but in these final days he speaks through the Son. He also came as the king. And what did he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's in your midst. Repent and enter into, into it. And the kingdom came with signs and wonders that it was truly a kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom, not a political kingdom. And someday uh, he will come back and he will reign and rule over all things. But this spiritual kingdom is continuing to grow throughout the earth as more and more people submit to the king in his reign and rule. But he also came as a priest. And what a priest does is, in the Old Testament, he represents God's people before God. He's the mediator between God and people. And the high priest would rep, would do, had two major functions. Atonement, that's sacrifice for sins, and then intercession, prayers. And so I want to kind of take a look at this priestly role of Jesus in this passage because it's also a tip-off of what Jesus is doing right now in heaven. And I hope that you'll be encouraged because Jesus, yes, is sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father, but he is not idle. He is busy, and he is doing something wonderful for each one of you who believe. So what this passage does, Luke 24, is it really helps us answer a question. What was Jesus doing between the resurrection and his ascension when he goes to heaven. And as Marcy shared, and I, I loved her insight, that, that that time period of 40 days was really a pretty cool time <laughs> for the believing community. Because Jesus was going around through Galilee and Judea and different places and just kind of 
showing up <laughs> to pockets of believers and they were just overwhelmed and encouraged. And this just went on and went on and went on until he ascended into heaven. So what was Jesus doing? And I think we can, this passage summarizes it into four, four areas. First, he was going around giving proof that he had risen from the dead, that he wasn't a ghost, <laughs> that he wasn't a spirit. He was a real person, the real Jesus, the earthly Jesus had risen from the dead. The second thing he was doing, is, and we saw that in our passage, he's opening up people's minds as followers to finally understand that all these Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in him. He was it. He's the final one. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And everything points to him and that his redemption, the plan of redemption was fully accomplished. The third thing he did was he gave his followers the Great Commission. He sent them out to preach the gospel to all the world and to make disciples. And then finally, he promised the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come and give power to this Great Commission. And that's essentially what he was doing uh, in those 40 days until he was ascended into heaven. So this passage talks a lot about two things. Jesus' function as in atonement as our high priest and his function as the intercessor as high priest. And if you look at verses 36 to 46 in our passage, if you turn to it for a minute, in those 10 verses, Jesus is going to say a couple of things here about uh, how his atonement has been satisfied and, and how the plan of redemption has been accomplished. And in those 10 verses, he moves along by, first of all, giving proof to his resurrection. And the literal hands and his feet and eating the, the meal in front of them, those are all tangible evidences that, look, I am really alive and I am not a ghost. And the reason that's so important is because the proof that Jesus actually died for sin and defeated sin Satan and the world, the proof of it that it really happened is in the resurrection. If he didn't rise, then it was all just a good story and we still have a dead man in the ground. But he proved that he did it by his resurrection. So that's why he's intentionally going around saying, look, I am alive. I am alive. It is accomplished. It's done. Everything that... Uh, God the Father planned, I have accomplished. And we know from Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 7, those are other passages that talk about Jesus appearing. It says that for 40 days, Jesus was on the earth, appearing to the apostles, the disciples, to the apostle Paul, and to more than 500 people. And so he was doing the same thing to all these people, showing them that he was alive. And the second thing he was doing was opening up their minds to the scriptures. This is so important. He gave them the scriptural grounding to what had actually happened, that he would take them through these many overview Bible studies and show them from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, that all of those 
messianic prophecies were fulfilled in him. I am who I am. I have accomplished redemption. And he opened up their minds, and, it, and as the scripture tells us, it burned. They knew. They had conviction that the truth of God's word had occurred in their very eyes. And so then he tells them now the gospel can be preached. Why can it be preached with confidence? Because it's grounded in his death. If Jesus did not pay for sinners' sin and guilt and condemnation, then we have nothing to offer people. But the very fact that he did, that the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God is satisfied and everything has been accomplished, we have something to offer people that's real. That if you repent and believe, you will be totally forgiven and you will receive eternal life. The connection between the atonement and the preaching of the gospel is here in this passage. So we have a real gospel to offer people. We have real hope because Jesus died and rose from the dead. If that not, did not happen, we'd have nothing to say to people at all. And then he goes on and talks about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives people power, courage, boldness to do what Jesus has called them to do. And that's why he said in Acts 1.8, another parallel passage to this event, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, to tell, to tell about my death and resurrection and the offer of forgiveness to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. So all of Jesus' priestly work here, as he is tied up in this passage, and the atonement is, is brought forth uh, throughout the first, well, the, the good majority of this passage. But what I want to do now is just kind of zoom in on verses 50 to 53, because this talks about Jesus' high priestly prayer. And I don't think this, these verses get enough uh, uh, focus, but there's something really profound going on in verses 50 to 53. So what's happening? Jesus leads his disciples to a little town called Bethany, about a mile and a half or so outside Jerusalem, and he finds whatever the spot was, <laughs> and he gets into the posture of the high priest, and he lifts up his hands. And that was the posture when the high priest would give blessing to the people. And he's blessing them. That's what it says. He's blessing them. And he continues to bless them. And while he blesses his followers, he be slowly begins to uh, rise into heaven. And Acts tells us that there were angels there as he lifted up in the cloud. So what I want to do is is I wanted to figure out, what is this prayer? <laughs> like, what's the blessing? Because if there's a blessing here for his disciples, I want it, right? And don't you want it? And it's a tip-off of what Jesus is doing in heaven because he continues to do the blessing while he goes up. And what we're going to see in various passages in the New Testament in just a minute is that he's actually doing giving us a blessing, and we'll see what that is in a minute. Now, we know that Jesus was a high priest in accordance with the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of 
the Levites. And this is a very important distinction that I want to bring out because one is heavenly, the other is earthly. One is forever, one is temporal. One is earthly and one is in heaven. And Jesus was in the order of Melchizedek. Now this guy Melchizedek is kind of a mystery kind of person in the Old Testament. We know that he appears to Abraham when Abraham is coming back from a victory over the five kings uh, that attacked him. And he blesses Abraham. And the scriptures tell us, and we're going to look at this in a minute in Hebrews 7, so if you want to jump to that, you'll be uh, with me when I read it. But that this passage in Hebrew tells us a lot about Jesus and Melchizedek, and that Melchizedek did not have a father or a, money, a mother. He had no genealogy. He had no beginning, and he had no end. He was very much like the Son of God. And many scholars think that Melchizedek was an Old Testament Christophany or appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So if we turn to Hebrews 7, I'm going to read for you the first seven verses. And what I want you to look at and notice is the repetitive phrase here of blessing because Melchizedek keeps blessing Abraham. And if Jesus is following the order of Melchizedek, the same thing is happening in our passage in verses 50 to 53. He's blessing the disciples. And what we're going to see in a few minutes is that in heaven, he continues to do the same thing. It's really, really fascinating to me and so encouraging. So Hebrews chapter 7 says this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. Just want you to hang on to that. And to him, Abraham gave a tenth part of everything he had. He had. Melchizedek is first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and, from, and also king of Salem, meaning the king of peace. So he's the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He is without father or mother, without genealogy. He has no beginning of days nor end of life, but resembles the Son of God and continues as a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tithe of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment from the law to take tithes from the people that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, that's Melchizedek, who does, not, who does not have his descendants from them, receives tithes from Abraham, and he blesses him who had the promises. So it is beyond dispute that the inferior, that's Abraham, is blessed by the superior Melchizedek. So you see Melchizedek and Abraham blessing and Jesus follows in the order of Melchizedek. Now, my question is, what is the nature of the blessing? Can we get any clarity, any, any help as to what it is that the high priest is praying for 
for Abraham and what the high, and Jesus as so now our high priest is praying for us. And the Lord led me to Numbers chapter 6, which is the prayer of blessing that God gave Aaron for the nation of Israel. And that's in Numbers 6, verse 22 to 26. If you'd like to read that, uh, you can. I think it's going to be up there uh, on the screen in a minute. But anyway, uh, Numbers 6, 22 to 26, it's just beautiful. It says, the Lord told Moses this, speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them that you shall bless the people of Israel. And so this is what you are to say to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now how do we you know, dissect this or, or understand it? For me, as I observed this, I saw that there were three things that is in this blessing. It's a prayer of blessing for one, God's presence, two, God's protection, and three, God's preservation. And what we're going to see in the New Testament in a minute, Jesus prays for the exact same things in his priestly prayers. So there you go. It's like, you want to know what God's doing for you right now? He's praying for those three things for you. This is really cool. So, verse 24 and 26, what do we see? It says, make his face shine upon you, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. These are parallel thoughts or repeated thoughts, and they're basically saying for God's gaze to fall on you. It's God to shine on you, which is essentially to experience God's presence. The second thing we see is the idea of protection. And what do we see in this blessing? The promise that I will be gracious to them and I will give them peace. Grace and peace. That's what God gives to his people when they are in the midst of trouble, affliction, temptation, and difficulty. And then the final thing is preservation where it says the Lord will keep them. And that's what we see, that God never abandons and lets go his people. He will always hold on to them. He'll always watch over them. He'll keep them and preserve them to the end. And after Jesus ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God, he continues to pray for these very things. Presence, protection, and blessing. So let's take a look at that. Now I'm going to have you jump around a little bit in the scriptures because that's the only way I can substantiate what I'm saying. So you're just going to have to hang with me and, uh, and go with it. So v- the first place we see this prayer of presence is in John chapter 17. And John chapter 17, as you know, is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And Jesus is praying this uh, probably in the upper room or outside the upper room uh, on the night before he was uh, arrested and and died. But in this prayer, Jesus is not just praying for the disciples, he's praying for all who would believe, which means he's praying for you and he's praying for me. And this is, we're going to pick it up here in verse 9 through 13 and then 20 to 21. But I want you to see these three things in this prayer. Keep them in your name. 
give them joy in their, my joy in their hearts, and that they would be one with me just as I am one with you. That's all presence language. It's all presence language. Verse 9 says, <clears throat> Jesus is praying, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, Father, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And who is he talking about? He's talking about the elect, the sheep, all those that have the Father has given to Jesus, all who would believe down through the ages. He says, all are mine, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And while I was with them, I kept them in your name, and whom you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's presence. Then in verse 20 to 21, we see where Jesus extends his prayer, and he says, I do not ask for these alone, or these only, but I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. And that's what happened as the church expanded. Testimony and preaching and conversion and testimony and preaching and conversion. So I pray that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's presence language, to experience the presence, oneness, and being kept in the Father's name. And then we see Jesus praying for our protection. And here I want us to jump to Romans 8. Now when Pastor Bill preached a sermon series in Romans 8 of God being for us, we came across this passage in verse 33 and verse 34 of Romans 8. And it's a really marvelous a section of, of this chapter because Paul is raising rhetorical questions. That is, he's raising a question that the answer should be obvious. And the answer to the, all these questions is no, no one, nobody. Okay, so you just keep that in mind. No, no one, nobody. And this is what he, he raises the question, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Can't be say it's, if it's Satan, no. If it's somebody else, no. If it's your failing conscience, no. There's nobody who can accuse you or charge you. Why? He goes on. Because God is the one who justifies. He made us right with himself. How did he do it? Here it comes, verse 34. Who is to con con condemn you? No one, nobody, <laughs> nobody. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, and who was at the right hand of God, indeed interceding for us. So here you have two things. Jesus, as a high priest, is holding forth his atoning work, his death and resurrection, and also interceding for you, so that anytime you are attacked, condemned, accused, persecuted, Whatever, Jesus is right there protecting you. Can you see it? It's, this is great. You say, where's the blessing? That's the blessing. That's part of the blessing. 
Then we go on, verse uh, 14 and 18 of Hebrews chapter 2. And, and Jim actually quoted part of this uh, when he was giving his call to worship. And Hebrews is wonderful because there's a lot of passages in the book of Hebrews that talks about Jesus interceding for us. But in chapter 2, verse 14 to uh, 18, we pick up this conversation by the writer. And he begins by saying, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So the question is, who are the children? Who is he talking about? The children are those who believe all that the Father gave to Jesus, his brothers, his sisters, the sheep, all who would believe down to the ages. And he says, since therefore the children of God share in the flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, partook of the same things. That's the incarnation. And through his death on the cross, he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death, were subject to slavery, lifelong slavery. And there's a slavery, believe me, when you're not sure where you're going to go when you die. And you ask anybody who doesn't know where they're going, they're in bondage because that's the number one question that comes to people's mind when they get to the end. But he goes on and he says, for surely he doesn't help angels but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Who are the offspring of Abraham? The people who believe. He's the father of the faith. It's the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And he goes on, he says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is that fancy word which means turn away the wrath of God based on sacrifice for sins, which he did. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So when you're being tempted, you're being attacked, you're being persecuted, Jesus is going to come to your aid and protect you. Here we see presence, protection, and then preservation. Last one is Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. Another work of Jesus Christ as our high priest for our protection. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That means hold fast to what we believe. Why? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted or tested depending on how you look at that word, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Remember the prayer of Aaron, grace and peace. <laughs> Here we see the same thing. God, Jesus is going to give us grace and help in our time of need. A prayer of protection. And then finally, the prayer of preservation. This means, am I going to make it to the end? What if massive persecution comes out against the church right now in America? Am I going to remain faithful? I feel all these doubts sometimes. I feel all these struggles. Am I going to make it? 
That's a question every Christian asks. Well, when you hear this, you'll know why you're going to make it, okay? Verse 25 of Hebrews 7. And I'm just going to read two verses ahead, verses 23 to 25. This is just so good. I just love this. It says, The former priests, who were many in number, were prevented by death to continue their office. He's talking about the Leviticus high priest. They died, so they stopped being priests. But Jesus doesn't. He's a priest forever. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Exactly. He's alive. Consequently, he is able to save to the end or to the uttermost. Listen to this. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who are them? The believers, those who trust in him. He's always praying for you and me that we would not fail. Do you see what a blessing that is? So when you're weak and you're ready to quit and you're ready to give up, just say, Jesus, I know you're praying for me. Let me feel your prayers. I need your strength. This is the blessing that we have as his people. It goes on. Uh, Hebrews 9, 24 to 28. Another great passage um, about Jesus' intercessory work on our behalf. For Christ has not entered a holy place made with hands. He's talking about the holy place in the tent of meeting or the holy place in the temple. But now he is entering, which were copies of the true things, but he enters heaven himself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's your advocate He's your lawyer. He's your go-to guy. He's your per people. You know, he's your one that stands in your place. And that's what he does. And so what does he do when he stands before God? This is what he does. He, nor was it to offer repeated, uh, repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy priest year after year with blood, not his own, for then we would have, he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appears once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He offers his sacrifice on the cross for you who believe continually, 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 continually. How many times? Continually before the Father. And it goes on. He says... And just as it appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So there's going to be a judgment, friends. And if you're not in Christ this morning, you are going to stand before that judgment. But here comes the good news. Uh, and this is it. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await him. So if you're in Christ, what are you going to get? You're going to get final salvation and not judgment. And that's part of his preservation for us who believe. And then finally, uh, I'll just throw this one as a bonus. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You can't gloss over that. Because that means the author and finisher. It's the one who started this whole thing as he drew you. God drew you to Jesus. And then the finisher, he's the one who completes it to the end. 
my hope that I'm going to make it. It's not in Rick McDonald at all. It's in Jesus Christ and his work on my behalf. And when you stand on that, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. So let's wrap this up. Uh, What does it mean? You know, what's the conclusion? What's the takeaway? Well, if you know Jesus Christ today as your Savior and Lord, you have to be encouraged You have to see, and I want you to see, and go back to these passages until you see Jesus praying for you continually. That's the blessing. He's praying for you. One, that you would experience more of his presence. Who doesn't want that? So if that's the case, seek him. Spend time with him. If If you're feeling tempted, accused, condemned, persecuted, afflicted, Remember that Jesus is praying for you as your protector. He's, he's got you. He's, he's got you. And then if you're doubting whether you're going to make it to the end, remember that Jesus is praying that he will keep you. Remember what he said in John 10, I have the sheep in my hand and none, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody. Because I got them. So be encouraged. And notice how uh, Luke chapter 24 verse 53 ends. After they see Jesus blessing them and going to heaven and continuing to blessing, what do they do? They're filled with worship and joy. And then they continue to just bless God as they go in the temple. They're psyched up, okay? Because they understand that uh, Jesus is their high priest and blesses them continually in heaven. That's it. I'm done. Let's uh, pray and then we'll close our time in giving worship and expressing our joy to God. Lord, thank you so much for this time of year to uh, celebrate your death and resurrection. And the wave just keeps moving forward. The wave of the ascension and all these wonderful things that have been set in motion Because Jesus now reigns and rules and blesses us as uh, his people. Thank you so much.